The following episode contains major spoilers for a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition publication. Listener discretion is advised. Hi and welcome to a special episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, the roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. I'm Dan and with me is Adam and today we're cracking open the newest official D&D book called Icewind Dale, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. Yay! Yay! So I picked this book up on release day because I'm a gigantic effing nerd. And I, I skimmed it. I, I haven't gone too deep into it. Mostly I was looking at the pretty pictures and then tried to figure out what was associated with the pretty pictures. But Adam has not even looked inside the book at all. So join us as we discuss our first impression of this exciting new Tome of Wonders from Wizards of the Coast. We're going to start this off with our first impressions. This is kind of a new format for us. Um, and we're doing it with probably the most anticipated uh, adventure path module kind style book that Wizards has put out for me. Oh, yeah? Yes. Um, I'm a gigantic Icewind Dale nerd. I grew up on the books by R.A. Salvatore. The The mention of Dritzdorden will come up in this for sure. When they said that they were releasing this, I was excited. And then when they said Dritz doesn't play a major role, I was even more excited. Because I want to play in 10 towns. I want to play in that. So what are you hoping is in this book? Okay, so to be completely clear... I never played one of the damn video games and I've never read a D&D novel. Okay. That shit just does not interest me. If I want to go into the Forgotten Realms, if I want to play around in that world, I want to do it in my campaigns and I want to do it through adventure paths. I want to discover it myself with my party. So I'm not big on this extra crap that they that is on. I'm sure it's not crap. Yeah. But that extra stuff that that's around. So... I am coming in a little bit blind to Icewind Dale. I know that from the name of it, it's icy, it's windy, and it probably takes place in some sort of icy dale because D&D is really, really, really original with their names. Yes. Sunnybrook Field is probably a brook yeah. on a field that gets a lot of sun. Exactly. Yeah. And so yeah. I, I'm not under the impression that I'm going to be shocked by a lot of this stuff. I'm kind of disappointed that we didn't get a Neverwinter. I was actually going to mention Neverwinter, but just as a joke, because it does snow in Neverwinter. Oh, no, I, yeah. I know. But like, <laughs> but Neverwinter is actually the city that I'm most familiar with without reading any of the 5th edition books. Why is that? Strange, hey? Remember the video game Neverwinter Nights? Yeah. I never played the game, but there was like a, a booklet, an instruction booklet or whatnot, the one that had oh, a bunch enough. of lore in the front of it, and I was over at probably your brother's house or one of our friend's houses. Or and, mine, because I played Neverwinter Nights like it was my life Yeah, for a while. and I remember sitting there rolling my eyes waiting to go to the pub as just one more level was happening in front of me, like three levels at a time, and and so I'm flipping through the book, and I kind of got an impression of, oh, this is an interesting kind of place. Icewind Dale feels very similar in a lot of ways, with just a different history. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's very well built out, um, especially throughout all of the other books that have come out from that area. The Neverwinter itself like, kind of is along the same line as Baldur's Gate for me. Oh, is it? Because of the Baldur's Gate games. Right, I played the Baldur's Gate games way back when my computer had a floppy disk drive. Yeah, and loved them, absolutely loved them. I recently found out that you could get them again for your smartphone, 
and you could play them as normal, just on your smartphone. And I looked at my boss dead in the eye, who not only listens to the podcast, but is also a gigantic D&D nerd, and is working through Baldur's Gate with his wife right now. Oh, yeah. And I looked him dead in the eyes and said, if you ever want me to be productive on this job again, you cannot allow me to have that game on my phone. Yeah, yeah. And it'll nuke any productivity I have. So uh, Neverwinter, I play to death. Uh, I uh, Sorry, Neverwinter Nights, I play to death. Neverwinter, the MMO that came out around 4th edition, I also play to death, but I so hated 4th edition, I abandoned it. Now, they're still releasing content for that, so I kind of want to check it out. But it, one As of time th- has gone on, I've begin to forgive 4th edition. Yeah, I, there's there's a couple really cool things in there. Like, uh, we recorded an episode a while ago where I was like, Lamias, there needs to be Lamias. And, and I mentioned the bug Lamias that are made of bugs. And we could not figure out where they came from. They came from 4th. My my iconic Lamy in my brain is fourth edition. My everyone's problem with fourth edition is the fact that it was oh, so this is what D D is now? It's mm-hmm. just a gamified you changed all the lore, you fucked up everything we loved about the lore, and you changed all of the mechanics. I now, got a World a of Warcraft game. subscription. Yeah. I don't need my World but, of Warcraft on the tabletop. But as a chapter in this longer Dungeons and Dragons discussion, fourth edition is really interesting to go back and look at. Yeah. So while it got the hate at the time. After the fact, I really appreciate what it does, and I steal a lot of shit from it. But Speaking of hate uh, from the time that we're now more aware of, what are we wary of when it comes to this, this book? Okay, so what I do know about Icewind Dale is that it's the Dritzed setting. Yes, in a way. For the most part. like if, if you're going to play in the Forgotten Realms, you go up to Icewind Dale to find Dritzed, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's what you're, you expect. And for those of you who are like, who is this person that you're talking about? Drizzt is um, the Mary Sue of D&D. He is In good way, at yeah. everything for no particular fucking reason. He's the drow with a heart of gold with a great destiny who just always has a wacky group of adventurers walking around with them at all times. Every once in a while one of them dies so we feel really sad but don't worry because Dritz gets a new godlike weapon for a novel and a half. I know that I'm feeling a little bit shitty about that. Well, like it, the way that it's, I'm saying, but I'm it's not a really broad worried. overgeneralization of, a, of four dozen books that all feature him. The lore of Dritz is prolific and for a long time in D&D before it caught this big popularization wave that it has right now, you could not not go to a D&D table without somebody playing a Dritz clone. I, in some I way, still, shape, or form. I still see them regularly. The drow at the Heart of Gold is yeah. still a thing that I run into all of the time. Which is why I'm glad how they've treated them with the silent sensitivity now. So that they're a little bit more difficult to play and not just random person off the street is going to do it. But, yeah. So my big concern here with Icewind Dale is that I'm going to get into that shit. And I, I'm not interested in a fan book. If I want a fan book, I will go pick up the Taldore campaign setting that Matt Mercer released. Yep. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. It's just I'm not that fan. I don't play the Star Wars RPG game or the Star Trek RPG game, and I am fans of those things, but this is my D&D, and I don't want someone else's D&D overwriting it, right? Yeah. So From our perspective here, both Adam and I prefer to run games in worlds of our own construction. I will be known to play out of a module or whatnot, but I will usually put that module somewhere where um, it just makes sense in a random world and then flesh it out from there if I need to. But what we look for in these books more often than not is inspiration for our own homebrew worlds. Yeah. And that- what I what I'm wary of is that the Icewind Dale book is going to be so regionally lore specific that I can't pull from this to put in my homebrew campaign easily. 
So here, here are a couple of things that I'm looking forward to, though. I like the the Frost Maiden. I don't know a hell of a lot about her, but as I understand, this is not just some witch. We're dealing with a god. Yes. Which is the first time so far in 5th edition that we're doing this, if you don't include Tiamat, which some people do and some people don't. Knowing from my skim through of what's going on here, they're about on par. Right, okay, but this is the first time that we're dealing with god-level shit. It's all been Strahd, or a Sararak, or um, the Demon Princes, or... It, the, uh, it, it's the... not, though. There, There is a bit of a god-level stuff that happens in Tomb of Annihilation. I would consider, without a hesitation, Tiamat to be god-level. Well, you and um, your dragons, Dan. Right, um, and and same for uh, the Frost Maiden here, Oral, uh, Oriel. I, I would put her as a god-level threat as well, but they really explain why this book is a 1 to 12 level, right? Yep. There's options to go beyond, and there are definitely threats you could pull in that are beyond that 12th level, but confronting the Frost Maiden is going to be a threat for a 12th level party. Okay, so we're not dealing with, with giant god-level nonsense. We're not dealing with fully enabled god level nonsense. yeah okay yeah. so this is the aspect of that we can expect right and she is le- that she is legit a god do the gods walk on the planes of the forgotten realms um based off the story and we'll get into this in a minute no but they could choose to and when they do things go fucky weird okay all right cool so um i guess the last thing that i am a little bit wary of is the fact that this is just going to be book one and i feel like this is a complete contained story in and of itself it's not dragon heist it's not the horde of the dragon queen right where it's book one of a two-part series um i i agree with you in your wariness of that i i honestly think this is book one yes well time will tell but like if it ends on a cliffhanger i'm gonna i'm gonna make a wanking motion at the mic that no one will be able to see cool so anyway let's grab our dice and roll initiative we're gonna start going kind of through the book bit by bit but before we do that let's find out who's gonna yeah. yeah He's going to take what? what? So I got an eight. I got an 11. Hand me the book, Dan. All right. Give me the book. So the first section that I'm doing is cover, intro, uh, right up until the text starts. Yeah, right? pretty so, much. Uh, first and foremost, you got the special edition cover, which is absolutely beautiful. I actually prefer the regular cover. Really? I've, yeah, I don't know what it is. That art speaks to me. It it feels like the comic books that I that I grew up reading. So my my opinion with the uh, special edition cover is if you have the special edition covers for other books, keep collecting the special edition covers. Oh, you've got a if, few of them, and they look fantastic. If you together. don't collect the special edition covers for things, probably continue with just the standard uh, production cover because uh, they look out of place. When you line them all up with the standard, um, like if you look at the spine of the book of the normal book, like the normal production books, there's the black with the red splash that says D&D in the title of the book and then a little D&D publishing at the bottom. They don't have that on um, the special editions. They're these stylized... I really like the foil covers. Yeah, they almost feel like the like the um, Magic the Gathering foils. Oh yes, right. Yeah. So and I I am a nerd that needs the shiny to buy it. So like I I buy that because the shiny. I need to be a completionist, and I don't have any of the shinies, so I do not have the shiny. Mm-hmm. So anyway, oh, I have Ghosts of Saltmarsh shiny, and it makes me twitch sometimes. Well, no, we're not going to trade, Dan. I know you have the regular. Yeah, I got the regular one. Want to trade? No. <laughs> um. So uh, I've got the front splash page. I like it. It is a mounted fish on a, like something you'd see in a bar. Hammerhead called, trout. Called Old Bitey. 
It's got some scars on it. I like it. That's neat. We're getting into flavor. Um, there we go. We've got, uh, of course, the alternative cover art on the credits page. Yep. And my favorite part of every one of these books is the disclaimer. I'm going to read it out loud. If you don't know about the disclaimers of the 5th edition books, go to your bookshelf, read all of the disclaimers for all of the books ever published they're, by Watsy. They get progressively funnier yeah, as you go. They're, they are a highlight. They're the first thing I flip to when I buy a new book. Yeah, so it's on the credits page after the special thanks area. Uh, and this one says, The windswept tundra of Icewind Dale is the true test of one's mettle. Here, it's survival of the fittest. Don't be fooled by the reindeer with glow-in-the-dark antlers, which I like. It's a fun twist. And the tasty knucklehead trout, including the friendlier, more northerly knucklehead variety. That that makes me that makes me very happy, Dan. Yeah, we finally get our shout out up here in the great white. Well, great brown. Now it is the great brown north. Um, well, that's just because smoke. Well, <laughs> guys, guys, recycle, please. Um, Icewind Dale is the frostbitten end of the world. You can't spell dice without ice, my friend. Fuck, that is the kind of shit that I'd write. And the Frost Maiden is not some demon prince, vampire, lich, beholder, crime lord, fuck you, Xanathar, or archdevil. She's a god and a cold-hearted one at that. That is perfect. That is exactly what I want out of this. Okay. Contents page. Seems a little lopsided. We've got Welcome to the Far North. What is that? One, two, seven chapters of an adventure, which is 260-some-odd pages. That's... An impressively long adventure. The one takeaway I had from my skimming is um, other books that have been released that are adventures. They tend to have a large section of new player options, new mechanics, new spells, new items, stuff like that. This book doesn't really have that. This book is adventure. And they really go out of their way to reinforce adventure in this book. A large portion of this is stuff you could run at your table. That's cool. And then we get... uh... So we've got the Welcome to the Far North, which is the intro, then the seven chapters, and then an epilogue, which is, it tells me here what secrets remain, summer is coming, winter everlasting, so on and so forth. So beyond this book, which is nice that they've got a couple of pages, it looks like there. Um, Appendix A, Icewind Dale Trinkets, magic items, that's good. Character, uh, Appendix B is character secrets. That sounds really useful for a dungeon master. I'm glad to see that. Yep. We'll go over it. When uh, well, we when, when we get to it, we'll yeah. take a look. And then Creatures, which is, well, shit, that's about 40, 40 50 pages of, uh, of brand new creatures, including, at a quick skim, a walrus. Yes, they really go out of their way to inject some logical, rational, mundane like creatures, here. animals yeah. in here. They're animals. They're not monsters. They're animals. Yeah, they're beasts. We got mountain goat, reindeer, seal, sperm whale. That's for you, Dan. Walrus, uh, fox, hare. This is good. I'm a big fan of this. A Craig cat. That's probably a monstrosity. Um, and then magic items at the end. Uh, oh, Appendix E, Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. What is what is the actual Appendix E? Can I flip to the The back? Rhyme of the Frost Maiden is, is a, a poem. poem. It is a literal rhyme. Okay, so rhyme is just another word for uh, intention. Like when you say what's the rhyme and reason of things, that's what this spelling is. So it drives me nuts that they made it a poem. That just, uh, and I, I hope that it is also the the motivating factor of the Frost Maiden in that poem, but we'll get to it when we get to it. There's an afterword, of course, and then I like this thing that they have at the bottom. The following D&D books provided text and inspiration, and then they've got a list, everything from the Lost Laboratory of Qualish to uh, some stuff from Ed Greenwood, 
Uh, let's see, you Tomb of Annihilation, think... Storm King's Thunder, Mad Mage, Legacy of the Crystal Shard, which is the R.A. Salvatore books that introduced uh, Dritz Stewart. Yep, and uh, uh, you know what? There's some really cool, there's some cool stuff in there. You can go digging through your own personal history and find stuff online for it. Yeah. And then that brings us to the intro section, so I will hand it back to Dan. Which is me. The intro section of this book is called Welcome to the Far North. Basically, it is just the overview of what's going on. It will have the adventure summary. We'll have the... Um, Which is good. They need to have longer, more detailed adventure summaries. As a dungeon master, one of the reasons that I don't run modules is because I don't want to have to read 200 freaking pages before I understand what's going on. I would like to be able to get a breakdown early on and then uh, discover it as we go along, you know, one or two weeks in advance as I continue to prep. Yeah. So the first 13 pages of this thing are basically supplemental DM relevant information that you will need to do before you step into here. You have your adventure summary, which uh, the adventure summary goes as uh, such. A Duragar despot is uh, trying to find this special material that is supposed to be lighter and, and harder than steel. Unobtainium. It, very much unobtainium. If you have read the Crystal Shard books... The material is created in those books. Okay, all right. And, and here. Um, but he is out there trying to get all of this Shardalin, which is uh, this crystal-like material that is an offshoot of the Crystal Shard from the Crystal Shard books. Sure, okay. Okay? Say Shard again. Shard. Thank you. You're welcome. At some point, you go to a ancient city entombed in Glacier, and all throughout this entire realm, you are trapped in Oriel's grip in this frozen wilderness. So these are going to be the three main plot points: this buried city, Oriel's grip over the Icewind Dale, and a Durgard despot trying to get all of this material to build a dragon. Is it like a magical like thing that keeps you in it, like a dome, or is it just so so horrible outside, like like moments of, from the Disney movie Frozen that you can't get out? Uh, it's it's more the second. It's more a such a horrible situation that you cannot get out of it. The this isn't this isn't Barovia then. This is not Barovia. You okay. can get out if you really want. Physically, to. you could, but but like. uh, I mean, just to give you a little bit of the geography into uh, the Icewind Dale. Icewind Dale is a section of land that is above the Spine of the World mountain range. Yeah. It is famously inhospitable. It is famously hard to cross. And there are 10 towns that form the singular conglomerate city called Ten Towns. Again, with the original names. Yeah. yeah. It has long been this place of refuge for those who are either running from the law or their family or are trying to get away for some reason. They come here because no one's going to chase them here. The adventure summary is you are going to be going throughout here, try to figure out what is going on. Oriel, just to give you guys an uh, insight, is has changed the sun so that it never rises fully in the Icewind Dale. So it is like Canada then, yeah. It, it is locking the region in eternal depth of winter and night to the point where uh, there is a special note that at the brightest part of the day, it counts as dim light. Okay, so it is dark, it is dreary, and uh, the main source of atmospheric light are these aurora over top that are generated by Oriel, the Frost Maiden. Okay, so Oriel... What is she the goddess of? Um, she is the, I'm assuming winter? Not just winter. She's a lesser god of the cold indifference 
who embodies winter's cruelty. And that is straight from the book. She okay. is a lesser god. Cool. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. So she is all about the indifference of winter's cruelty, which is awesome for this book because she has just decided that she wishes to walk amongst men and she sacrifices a little bit of her power every day to make sure the sun does not rise here. So she is comfortable. She needs to let it go. I'm not going to stop. I know you have small okay. children and this is going to happen. Yeah, this is this is a small form of torture for me. Good. Yeah. Uh, there is a snow golem in here. If you call it Olaf, we're going to have a fight. Okay. We're just going to move through here. Running the adventure, there's a bunch of tips and tricks of how to use the maps and everything else. Are there any new um, mechanics like there was with the diseases and the stuff that's happening in um, in Tomb of Annihilation? Or is there anything like that that we can look at here? They re- The book really dives deep into what wandering the frozen wasteland will do. And there's a uh, large section on just wilderness survival um, within this region um, and how to deal with avalanches and the mechanical... Is that in this part of the book? That's in this part of the book. Okay. Um, That's good because we don't really have a whole lot of anything Arctic-based. So I'm glad to see that. Yeah. So uh, there are special sections for avalanches, blizzards, veering off course in a blizzard and how to uh, deal with that. Um, And just extreme cold now the rules do exist in the dmg for extreme cold but they are repeated here are they i assume expanded to some degree as well um at least with the tables not particularly no no a lot of it is repetition in fact it even says rules for extreme cold appear in the dungeon master's guide at, but are repeated here for your convenience. oh yeah okay okay uh, if you don't have the DMG, if you pick this up with the player's handbook and the monster manual and you're going to run your way through it, the DMG was such a, an afterthought for me when I started playing 5th edition. Um, I was DMing for a year before I picked it up. Mm-hmm. So I know a lot of people are like that. Um, and if you are just running this, you finish the starter set and you want to pick this up and whatnot, I would take these and also apply this to like extreme um, heat as well yep and things like sandstorms and avalanches can still happen in uh like craggy cliff desert kind of scenarios right like it's not not all just sand although sand dunes if you are walking along them and something shifts right yep so it's useful and helpful you could adapt from that which is cool there is just before the wilderness survival thing there's an adventure flow chart which will kind of give you an overarching look of what the seven chapters of the actual adventure look like is that new yes i haven't seen that in any other book thank god i have been complaining about that on this podcast for a year that there's been nothing like that anywhere to be able to help this is what i mean about i need an overview if i'm going to pick up a book and dive through it mm-hmm. it's one of the reasons why i don't do um, princes of the apocalypse or storm king's thunder it's i'm a lot to take in yeah. really interested in elementals and giants but i don't know what i'm getting into so well adam it. you're going to be happy because there's not only a flow chart which will break down what it is but if you want a little bit more detail, just a little bit more detail, there is an adventure flow section as well that will tell you what each of these sections do with a little bit more in depth. Beautiful. There is also a little section called dissecting this adventure, um, which specifically says a lot of these things you could just pull out and put in your campaign and they've worked it in such a way that you can remove it and put it in your world easily. This is the kind of high concept shit that I've been wanting from Wizards since day fucking one. And they seem to have been really, since Ravnica has come out, mm-hmm. Ghosts of Saltmarsh is kind of in that era as well. Anything that, like the water deep level, we are starting to see them not just release, you know, part one, do this, part two, do this, part three, do this. They're getting more in depth and, uh, and more um, modular almost. So you're able to pick some yeah. things out and put in others. We've graduated from 
from intro courses and now we're in the intermediate courses. And that's what this book is. And yet it still is good for beginner DMs to pick 100%. up. 100%. Right. Yes. There's also a section here um, within the wilderness survival for fishing, for food, which will uh, survival. And that is going to be a big deal. Um, as well as the effects of frigid water, um, what the illumination thing is going to be, as well as overland travel. And then we get to some of your favorite sections here, Adam. Graphs and charts. Graphs and charts. So there's an entire thing for pronunciations. You're welcome, Dan. Wizards has been getting my emails. So I've already ignored it. And then we're going to move on to the uh, character creation tab. Now, the character creation section here is pretty simplistic. There's not a lot in depth here. What it does go into telling uh, to help is... How to hook your character background into this campaign. Cool. And it goes through the Acolyte, Charlatan, Criminal, Entertainer, Folk Hero. Okay, so the PHB ones. All the the PHB ones. And it helps you hook your character into why are you in this frozen wasteland to begin with? Especially at level one. There is a little bit of information about character secrets. Now, character secrets we will cover later because they're more at the end, but it does kind of touch on them here and character secrets are something you as a dm give to a player as a secret that their character must hold on to one of the reasons why i like this so much is a lot of this campaign is inspired by lovecraft and john carpenter's the thing of course it would be yeah i absolutely love that right so there is a if you've listened to this podcast we love our horror especially our psychological horror kind of campaigns so they are playing into that here and we love it at that point, we get into the actual campaign, which is the real chapter one. Adam? All right. So I've not seen this before. Oh, beautiful art, which I like. It's all gray and cold and frozen docks and ice chunks in the water. I'm assuming that's salt water with those kind of ice chunks. Nope. No? No. Well, then the artist didn't do their homework. So uh, we start off at 10 towns. Oh, cool. We get starting town. And it looks like... All right, first of all, there's a running the chapter little section here, which is great. Again, I would like to see that. Starting town, choose one of the 10 towns, and it breaks it down. There's a D10 chart here, and if you start here, what you do, what page to flip to. This is almost choose your own adventure, right? So what it is for the opening section here is each of the 10 towns has their own special flavors and um, special little but twists and tweaks. But they, they all have starting quests. They all have starting quests. And each one of them has a different... See, you can pull any one of these out to, for a level one party and, and start that way. That is amazing. And it tells you right in the in the chart here what happens. For example, one, Bremen, Lake Monster. Spoiler alert. You flip to page 28 in which the characters hunt for a monster terrorizing Bremen's fishers. And they've got a breakdown like that. It's just a simple one-line overarching plot line for each one of these starter quests. And a lot of these starter quests in the book are four to six pages long. They are quick. If you are looking for a nice little intro thing, do it. The other thing that they do there, Adam, is they say, if you are an experienced DM with an experienced party, let them go hog wild. However, if you are new or you have a new party, we recommend you start it at uh, one of the cities there. Yes, it says uh, to choose Bryn Shander, which is the second one in the list. Okay, Bryn so- Shander is the largest settlement in 10 towns. Okay, so the next part has... Uh- some rumors, there's more things about character advancement through this level, reputation in the Ten Towns. Then there's an overview of them, which has some more fun art, talks about fuel sources, living off the lake, winter survival gear, getting around, 
uh, by dog sleds and axe beaks, which is one of the least utilized D&D creatures from the Monster Manual. Um, the beasts. So I really like them because they're a fictional beast, which we don't have many of. They are, for all of you Final Fantasy nerds out there, they are the closest thing to like a uh, chocobo. Yeah. They are a mountable two-legged bird. And the fact that they pop up in the Icewind Dale book in the Frozen North is funny to me and awesome. There's a picture of them there and they are... They're like... They're almost woolly. They're woolly birds. And they're fantastic. I want to have these things in my normal campaign even if I'm in a desert. Yeah. I I freaking love them. Um, It gets into Magic in the Ten Towns. Snowflake ratings. Uh, three. It uses three snowflake rating system to help you quickly differentiate between the settlements, friendliness, services, and comfort. That's crazy. Okay. Uh, sacrifices to Oral A U R I L Council of Speakers. Um, the sacrifices can be warmth, food, or humanoids. Uh-huh. That's awesome. And then there's a part called Cold Open, which makes me laugh. Icewind Dale Knowledge Starting Quest, and then the Cold Hearted Killer. You are now into the quests. I'm now into the quests. As I go through them, it's got some nice, yeah, it's got some nice art with it. You're not kidding. It's like two pages and it gives you kind of like the intro to it. So there's a little blurb. It's two paragraphs or so. Then getting the quest. And then it looks like the quest itself is really straightforward and then concluding the quest. And it's just, oh my God, it's so, so quick, so brief. And yet there's tons in it. Again, beautiful dark art in this though uh you kind of glazed over the the snowflake rating that thing is incredibly helpful as a dm you'll find it in the towns and basically what it does if it's a three the town is more favorable for you if it's a one snowflake it is less favorable towards you in whatever that realm whatever that category is right and again those were um friendliness services and comfort yeah so, um, I just want to go through the the names of these and then I'm going to move past this. this uh, the chapter. name of the 10 towns? Uh, not the name of the 10 towns because no one's going to remember that, but the name of the starting quest. See if something here really like piques your inspiration here. Lake Monster, Foaming Mugs, Black Swords, The Unseen, Hold Up, Toil and Trouble. Ellen says hags to me. Uh, The Mead Must Flow, The White Moose, Mountain Climb, and A Beautiful Mine. That just that just strokes me in uh, in all of the wrong words. Phrasing? Nope. <laughs> nope. I I fucking mean it. That is that is my jam. All right, on to chapter two then, Daniel. Okay, so chapter one is probably one of the bigger chapters in the book, just because it covers all of the ten towns, and that is your main and really only settlement. So they cover it well. Moving on to chapter two, it is all Icewind Dale. The art here again is very dark, gloomy. Um, it feels like the Out of the Abyss art, because it's it's very dark and gloomy as well, because it's all under dark. Yes, yeah. Now, chapter two is basically playing within the Icewind Dale itself, in the wilds of the Dale. And um, there are a lot of little quests that pop up here. I feel like one of the people who helped design this really likes just naming quests. We haven't had a lot of, like, named quests going forth. You get to pick up some uh, tall tales within the... Um, Ten towns themselves before you go out on your quests. Yeah, there was a there was a rumor chart there. Yeah, there are you know eight or so, uh, sorry, a dozen or so uh, little quests that they give you kind of breakdowns on. Are these based on the rumors? No, they're not based on the rumors. They are to use in conjunction with the rumors to entice your players out into the wild. Okay, yeah, okay. because it's so hard out there, what are we going to do to get them out? So, so yeah, there's there's the one that is you know here's just a bunch of rumors of the crazy shit that happens you know, behind the veil of snow. 
And then there are people literally walking up to your characters going, hey, uh, we need more whale oil in order to fuel our lamps. Can you go get it? See, this is the kind of stuff that I wish Xanathar's and and um, the uh, the new one, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. I like that. I want more of this kind of just like rumor tables and quest hooks and shit to get people started. So I'm really glad to see that in here. If I had this on my bookshelf and I was ever you know scratching my brain for what to do next session or even for a one shot, this is how I get things moving, right? Well, Adam, you're going to be happy because the next section behind these quests and everything else is literally Wilderness Encounters. There is a D20 uh, Wilderness Encounter table as well as a D8 Wilderness Encounter uh, per day chart that you as a DM or if you want your players to roll it for you uh, can roll. And basically this number of Wilderness Encounters is what happens during that day. So, Are the Wilderness Encounters all about monsters? Uh, unfortunately, yes. But at the same time, like there, there is some workarounds, but they're like, some of the monsters aren't combative. Okay. Right. But mostly, yeah, they're about, they're about monsters. So, uh, just to give some highlights here, there's a ancient white dragon. There's some awakened beasts. So really smart animals. There's a bunch of dwarves and monstrosities going around. There are goliaths. There are frost giants, riding mammoths. There are those aforementioned reindeer with glowing horns, um, as well as other forms Antlers. Of- They're called fucking antlers, Dan. They're on a reindeer. <laughs> okay, you just failed Christmas. Well, Christmas is bullshit anyways. Um, Yikes, hot take. All right, that's it. Uh, there are also other types of tribes that wander the land. Now, they do consider these things herds in and of themselves. They're just herds of people. Just nomadic herds. Yeah, yeah. so like there's like herd of beasts and then there's a herd of humans and a herd of ice troll. Cool. I like um, it. There is a new uh, variety of Owl bear. There's a couple fun little encounters. You could ride an awakened uh, sperm whale. Um, and then I'm there's, glad you said whale. And then you get to places of interest. And of course, the places of interest are the weird things that you're going to come up across, as well as weird magic items, which, dear friends, bring tongs. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, don't directly handle the magic items. Um, there's a couple other little notes here that feed into things up to and including, uh, you know, vampire gnolls and all of the art here is beautiful. There's a bunch of white uh, dragon wormlings. So hold on, you said that you there's a chart, there's an area where you come across things yeah. out there. And these are, by locations, do you just mean like interesting places in an Arctic or are these magical sites or or things that are linked to Forgotten Realms? I mean, I mean yes, to all of that. The way that they have built these encounters, to uh, you can pull them out and put them in your campaign very easily. Just change a couple names. That's all you'd have to do. There are no. Well, my question is: Are these naturally occurring, or are they all magical things that you're coming across? Are you walking into a cave full of of um, geodes, or is it magical blue floating gems? Right, like they really, really cover the whole spectrum there. Okay, of, of that. There are, like, pirate ships that have been stuck in the ice that you could go explore. Sure. There are uh, caves that are just generic caves with some weird monstrosities within them. Okay, cool. Right? One of the big points of interest that I do love from this is the spa- uh, crashed spaceship. The, the crashed spaceship. The crashed said. spaceship. So... The one thing that they have brought into this game with this book that I'm still not convinced I like are laser pistols. Those are a thing. In this... In Icewind Dale? In Icewind Dale. Okay, so... There is a very famous 
module from original D&D where they introduced the idea of mind flayers and elithids. And you found a crashed spaceship where these squid-headed motherfuckers are running around with laser pistols in it. So while this does make me tweak a little bit, that is actually like standard canon that exists because you can take a spaceship from the far realms. Yeah. And just if you fly long enough you will get to the regular um, Forgotten Realms setting. And that is basically exactly what this is. Cool. The, that's a, a spaceship cool, That's a great realms. old nod to it. So. Yeah. Is it, is it Mind Flayers or Neoji or do you know? Is it... It is Mind Flayers. Okay. Yeah. Uh, specifically... I'm just glad it's not the Griff. Specifically Mind Flayers and Squidlings. Again, if if you want to expand on that, then you should pick up uh, Mordenkainen's because they have Star Spawn and they also have the... Um, Griff, and is it Griff? Gif. It's Gif, and it is hippopotamus people that are dressed like they're colonial soldiers yeah. with monocles. Hippopotamus and people from space. Yeah, yeah, but and but they carry space muskets and like they are ridiculous and they're I, super pulpy and beautiful. And I never know where to put them in a game, but I might be able to inject one or two of them into this section so they yeah. just don't fit any of my other regular shit so i'm glad that we're getting kind of a nod in this direction that's the next thing i want to see after this book by the way the next adventure i want is far realms aberration nonsense yeah um there's a goblin fort uh there is uh an ancient prison there is a place where ghosts of ancient frost giants talk there are so many fun I, I'm little... also seeing you flip by stat blocks as well. Are these NPCs or are these... Mostly NPCs, yeah. Okay, because they're saving the monsters till the end. Exactly. It's, so... it's weird to me that they do that, and I understand why Wizards does that. They put the NPC stat block right beside the intro to that NPC, but I want it almost repeated in an NPC section in the back because when I'm in the middle of Chapter 5, I don't want to be flipping back to somewhere in Chapter 2 to find this person's passive perception. You know what I mean? Like, they feel strange out of order mm-hmm. and it makes it difficult to just pick up npcs on the fly so um, i'm glad that they still have them but they're not i want them collected somewhere i would absolutely love the big book of npcs where someone takes all of the shit from all of the different campaign settings and, and modules and all that stuff and drops every npc stat block that we have into one book so that you can just grab them at a go organize them by cr I, I, I love that idea. I do know that they have done that in previous editions. Um, I think it's only a matter of time before they do compendium stuff like that. I'm looking forward to it because these are really useful DM tools. I want that in another one of these of everything books. Yes. Right? Yeah. So maybe a section at the back of it. Not not just one book of that. I'd feel ripped off if I have. If I'm already buying all the books anyway. Yeah. But it would be really cool to just be able to pick it up and say, hey, you know what? Your bartender is this guy. And even though he's a gangster in Waterdeep, he's in my homebrew, he's this. Yeah. Right. So, so uh, that concludes the second chapter with more places of interest. I mean, there's also Goliath tribes that you come across and stuff like that here. Herds. Goliath herds. herds. No, full-on tribes and their uh, their home, their camp that they have set up. I get a lot of uh, a lot of feeling of the north and, and the wall from Game of Thrones and some of this art. North of the wall, yes. You no, know, but even the wall itself. I've seen a couple of like large structures built into the sides of mountains and stuff. Yes, yeah. That, that feels like that. So the third chapter is called Sun Blight. Uh, running this chapter, paragraphs at the front again, um, which 
Seems really, really cool. If they choose the later course, skip over this chapter for now and proceed with chapter four. This feels like it's really sandboxy, but you have all the tools you need for it that are going to lead you still, like there's a plot line, but you don't necessarily have to follow point A to point B like you've had to do in previous editions like, or previous encounters like... Um, Tomb of Annihilation is very much the same kind of thing. Curse of Strahd is as well, and these are the big famous ones that people really love, but... The Horde of the Dragon Queen is not. You go point A to point B. Mm-hmm. It is railroady as fuck. Well, the, the problem is with like Tomb of Annihilation. To succeed, you have to check a bunch of things off the chart. But at no point in time do they tell you how you get that list. So yeah. you kind of have to stumble along. So it is incredibly sandboxy to the point of giving you an open grid to deal with. At no point in time do they give you any direction. They go too far. Okay. This is This is sandboxy, but... There are so many little hooks and directions and things you could go to, and you're not gone for weeks at a time from your central location. You go back and you restock, and you it's a lot easier to run this than it was Tomb of Annihilation. So Sunblight looks like it's the last name of a Doragar um, clan, so it's named after a man who's got a couple of sons. They mentioned Deep Dora, which is one of the uh, Doragar goddesses mm-hmm. in this, so I'm really happy to see that. And then it's essentially what looks like a fortress crawl. You're getting a dungeon crawl in the middle of this, which is really interesting. We've got uh, some Quagoths and some Myconids. Um, who is this? We've got a uh, an ogre-sized um, Duragar. So I'm sorry, what? I did not see that in my read-through. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of cool stuff in here. We're getting Duragar getting a spotlight. In yes. It, which makes a lot of sense. That's a lot of fun. Um and then there's a section here called Fortress Fallout, which I'm not going to read out loud, but it sounds it, it sounds amazing. Like, well, like when you defeat this section, here's what happens as a direct result. And there's a couple of uh, details about this uh, Chartalin dragon that looks like they're dropping some hints early on at this point. I'm assuming you do not introduce a new dragon without it being a goddamn set point. Mm-hmm. That looks like that. that's it. It's a pretty standard looking dungeon crawl. It has the standard maps to go through. Here are the villains and here are the kind of creatures that are around. What you want to get out of it and who, who are the NPCs you're going to meet along the way. This isn't blowing my mind. It's neat. I'm, I'm always glad to see official dungeon crawls, but that that's it. I, I do, again, I do feel like I can pull this out and drop it anywhere. Mm-hmm. So chapter four is titled Destruction's Light. Uh, the art next to it is this new dragon blowing up what is 10 towns. The big thing about this dragon that we haven't mentioned up until this point, or at least only alluded to, is the fact that this is a constructed dragon. Oh, this a- dragon is a construct. Oh, I didn't I didn't realize that. Okay, yeah. cool. So the this Durgar is building this thing, and before your party can stop him, he unleashes it. Is this a spoiler? That it's constructed? Yeah. No. Okay. No. I mean, you'll find that information out pretty easily. Anyways, so uh, for this section, you are basically uh, stopping the destruction of 10 towns from this dragon. And you go from town to town to town, saving it. So do what... You, do you, is this like 10 towns on repeat? Like you go town by town for this? Literally, yes. Uh, the, the dragon has a path it goes through. And... I'm assuming that they've got to do some interesting things here to make it not um, really, really tedious to do this. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it's each town kind of just gets a couple paragraph little section. So they've made it really, really easy to run this chase of this dragon from destroying all the hard work you've built up in the previous couple levels to uh, 
you know, you've built up all these relationships, all these NPCs that you love, all this other stuff. They really want you to save 10 towns from this thing. So it, um, there's a little bit of a mechanic, like there's dragon flight times table in here. Oh, cool. Okay. I like that. That's useful. Yeah. So, uh, but it doesn't give you like legit, like this is how far they fly in a minute. No, uh, no, no. Like it's not, it's not speeds. It's, it's when is it going to show up at the next one. Yeah, so it goes from here to there in two hours, then from there to there in 30 minutes next time, and then from there to there in an hour and a half. Okay, so I like this, especially with all of your um, with all of those vehicles and the Overland Movement stuff that they gave you earlier. Yep. That's going to be really useful. So. so they give you a lot of things on how to take this dragon out, and then you take out the dragon. Well, I mean, obviously, that that's the thing. We went, we literally just went from a dungeon crawl to a dragon fight, right? It's yep. dungeons and dragons. Here you go, pretty iconic. I like that for this because there's been a lot of not iconic shit already released in fifth edition. Stuff that is iconic for D and D if you're already a nerd, but if you're new to fantasy, you're like, hey, what, I've done Ghost of Salt, uh, Salt Marsh now. Where's my dragons at, right? Yep. Or I've done Horde of the Dragon Queen. Where all my dungeons, right? And so I like the fact that they're kind of hitting these back to back, and it's not standard Lancelot save the princess bullshit with your Dungeons and Dragons, right? So yeah. it's I, I don't know. This is really cool. I'm a big fan. Um, there are only a handful of pages left in this chapter, and there's a, something I do want to mention real quick. There are powerful people within the Ten Towns that you do end up getting to help you. I don't want to go too far into it because there's a lot of story involving sure. them. But they do end up helping you with this. And then they round out the chapter after the dragon fight is done. Or if there are people who can't fight the dragon in your party, the, the, they've put in dynamic encounters to help kind of fill the space nice. from thing to thing. Um, they listen to the campaign they, builder. They listen I love to the campaign it. Yeah. builder. So it's things like a building collapses. There's an enraged enlarged Durgar in one of the things. There's trap beast. There are people who are controlled by this mind-affecting effect that this dragon has um, that then attack your party. Like, there, there's all these things that come in that give your players who can't harm the dragon something to do. And there's a few of those. And then there is one more quest called Velene's Quest, which takes you to find uh, these couple items that they need for the next chapter of the book. So one of the things that just occurred to me right now is that we're getting a whole lot of ice and snow, obviously, yes. with this. Uh, we got Baldur's Gate, which was actually Descent into Avernus, right? We don't spend a whole lot of time in Baldur's Gate doing Baldur's Gate things like you do with Waterdeep. Or even, it seems, Icewind Dale, mm-hmm. right? So because we seem to have gotten the jungle theme and we've gotten the undead theme and we've gotten the heat theme, now we've got the cold. What's left? Um, um, we've gotten thunder. Yeah, we've, we've got the elements with the Prince of the Apocalypse. We've got giants and mountain ranges. Honestly, it's Far Realms. Yeah. It's planar stuff still left. The Underworld. By Underworld, do you mean Underdark? Uh, no, I mean like, I want to go to other places within the Shadowfell and the Ethereal Plane. Oh, yeah, that, okay. You where mean- the dead roam. There needs to be an Orcus focus campaign in Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, or it is a colossal failure of an edition. Orcus is one of the two main issues at the end of Out of the Abyss, if you haven't read through it. So there you go. You've already been satiated. Okay, cool. Yeah, then I'm good. Uh, Next is 6th edition. (laughs) All right. um, Ooh, this chapter is called, chapter 5 is Oral's Abode. Oriel. Oriel's Abode. Oriel is how it's pronounced. I checked the pronunciation guide. That's the one you're going to get right, huh? Okay. Um, I... Not, Honestly, to be, not to be confused with Oriel's commode. 
It's a little different. Different, a little different. I really like the Castle Grey Skull feel yeah. of the art here. Just uh, yeah, loving it. Yeah, it does look a little like Skeletor in the art. Another like we're skimming over them. They all have this running this chapter section and a character advancement section in each one of these, yes. which is which is great. Uh, it looks like you have to get to an island. There is a sea of moving ice. Oh my god. They've given us a map of this island called Grim Scale, and it looks like a fucking snowflake. That is my fantasy shit just ramped up to 11 right there. Yep. I don't hate this. I don't I, either. Like, it's a little on the nose, but I don't hate it. They're like it playing feels... Dungeons and Dragons. There should be a little bit of yeah. the on the nose stuff. Like, even for experienced players and experienced DMs like you and me, we need to put shit like this in our campaign. Don't always subvert expectations. Yes, I agree with you. Let, let me see. What do we have here? We've got... Um, it's called the Island of Solstice, which is cool. Uh, it's got regional effects. What happens if you show up via griffins, which I like as well, instead of just ships and little, little rowboats. Uh, there's a ruined dock. Shipwreck discoveries. Ooh, a weasel familiar. I'm literally just flipping and reading shit that, that catches me kind of out of the corner of my eye here. Um, of course we've got frost giants, ice trolls, abominable yetis. This is the stuff that you would expect yeah. to find later in an icy adventure. Fortress features. These are common throughout the fortress. Everything is giant sized. It's ice and mist everywhere. It's dark. There are 25 foot high, 8 foot wide, 2.5 foot thick slabs of chiseled ice that act as doors. The ceilings throughout are 30 feet high. Dan's whipping out a map here so everyone at home can see. I'm just looking to see if there is a map on the pullout of this island of Sol- uh, Solstice. And there's not. That's okay, because I don't believe in the pull-out method. Um, Grimscale does have a decent... There are four levels. There's dungeon level, entry level, palace level, and at the very top is the battlement level as well. Ooh, there's a piercer. Spoiler alert. Oh, more about the pull-out method, eh? Yeah. Um, uh, let me see. We've got traps. We've got uh, a silver dragon wormling. Here we go. We have stats for a dragon egg, Dan. Do we really? A five foot tall, 150 pound silvery dragon egg that will hatch in 3d10 days, giving birth to a silver dragon wormling. This is treasure. This is one of the one of the treasure parts of, of this section. So, uh, skeletal guards, tests of the Frost Maiden scorecard. What is this? It is a exploration style encounter where you have to. There are four tests. Test of cruelty, test of endurance, test of isolation, test of preservation. And it says there's space for each one of the party members' names. Yeah. I know that people write in this book to fill this out, and that frustrates the shit out of me. I wish that they had this little scorecard as like a separate um, insert into the mm-hmm. into the book, right? So, But it's brilliant, and I would totally copy this down onto a separate piece of paper. That's really cool. I like that. And each one of the tests... Has a section. Uh, it breaks down what it is and how it triggers. The test begins and the test ends. And whether or not you fail it or you pass it. That's really cool. And then wrapping up Fall of Grimscale. When her final form is reduced. Oh, she has forms. She has multiple forms. That's it's, cool. It is uh, Kefka-esque. Not Kafka-esque. Kefka-esque. I'm talking Final Fantasy 3 here. Six for those of you that live in Japan. I guess that's true. But Final Fantasy... All of our listeners from Japan. Yeah. Uh, final Fantasy 3 level end boss. But that's uh that's that's the halfway point of the campaign. Yep, and that brings us to the end of that chapter. On to chapter six. Chapter six is when you start to dive into this. Uh, you've dealt you've dealt with the Durgar. You've now dealt with 
or real, at least for the most part, but her curse still per, uh, is pervasive and you're trying to solve it. Okay? okay. So part of this is going into this ancient city in a glacier. The NPCs that I mentioned earlier, these powerful NPCs, this is where they're going to play a massive part. So if you're a DM and prepping, get to know these guys before you really get going. Adam. Daniel. Do, do you know anything about the Netherees? I know little bits and pieces here and there. I know that they are essentially in long dead civilization. Yep. And um, they haven't really been a focus of 5th edition so far. They have. Not not really. They're not a main focus. You'd think that they would be because they're so wrapped up in the history of the realm. So um, for someone like me who is a Forgotten Realms lore nerd, the Netherese are one of my favorite parts of the entire thing. Netherese are an ancient society of mages who had god-level magic at their beck and whim. This, this is when even the D&D books... Talk about 10th, 11th, and 12th level magic spells. Yep. Come from these societies. They lived on floating cities, often in the north of the realms, and suddenly, without explanation, their cities fell and are lost to memory. And now there are entire companies of wizards looking for these uh, locations. Is this like an Atlantis kind of feel? Very much like an Atlantis, but if Atlantis was full of uh, Cthuloid horror, okay? The Netherees were not nice people. Enslaved and created races purely to enslave them. They're going to be the people that invented... You know you know how you have like uh, Tasha's Hideous Laughter? Yeah. Who's named after a, a wizard, Tasha, who made it and whatnot. But then there's just Fireball. Yeah. These guys would have invented Fireball and we've since lost their name to history. Exactly. These guys are the guys that made the first chimeras and shit as well. Like, yep. Like, these, these are the twisted guys who made like a lot of the monstrosities in your book. They're not recent problems. They are problems from the Netherese Empire. Okay. Okay. Now, the thing that Watsi has done in almost every single uh, adventure path up until this point is they've put in these obelisks. Okay. Uh, you see one right outside the Tomb of Annihilation. There's They're all over the place. Friends, here's where they start explaining what those obelisks are. Cool. Yeah. So if you have the same party that has run through a lot of these other adventure paths and you've now come to this... You start to experience a little bit of a completion of a story arc that has gone several adventure arcs through, right? It's really cool. Anyways, so uh, this section is called the games. Of, uh, sorry, the caves of hunger. It is the sixth chapter, and honestly, you are going through the. Uh, is this another dungeon crawl? But now it's natural and not it, a fortress. It, uh, it's both. It's really both because at some point you break into this Netherese town, uh, Netherese city, and you start going through these old streets and whatnot. These would be the Forgotten Realms of the Forgotten Realms. Yes. Um, Adam, there is a table about psychic hauntings. Okay, yeah. Because there's going to be a lot of horror based here. Item number seven is uh, you've glimpsed Dan and naked. Uh, funny enough, on a D12, seven is no haunting. So you've glimpsed me naked. You're welcome. Um, the Caves of Hunger, uh, there's several locations here that you go through in your typical dungeon crawl up into experiencing some of the weird gnolls that have called this place home, a Remoraz. Cool. There's not enough of that. Yep. And that's pretty much it. It is. Well, it's a big dungeon crawl. It's a big dungeon crawl. There's a couple fun little things in there. 
uh, for you uh, to as we get later and later in this adventure. We're going to leave more spoilers on the table and not tell you guys about them. Yes. So there is shit to do in there. It's not as brief as we've made it out, but there's there, there are a lot of opportunities for uh, adventure there under underneath the... Uh, what are the is that in the mountains? In the uh, it is it is under a gr- glacier called the Regar Glacier. Okay, cool. Um, this last chapter, chapter 7, is the Doom of Yithrin. Yithrin. Yithrin is the name of this Netherese uh, town. Cool. And I see art for Nothics. I love Nothics. I, I freaking love Nothics. I know you do. I don't have a whole lot of experience with them. Again, character advancements. The characters gain a level after overcoming the challenges of all eight towers of magic. I'm just like pulling this right out because it caught my eye. And that's crit. I love that. So they have completely done away with the concept of experience points leveling. They are focused on the milestone yeah. form here. Which is really cool. Oh, there's a Necropolis. That's cool. And Yithrin Encounters. There's a random encounter table, including living spells, which is fun. Fanatics, frost giants. I don't know what a Hypnosmagin is. Oh, a uh, Hypnosmagin uh, is... Yeah, I mean, you'll you'll see. They're a new monster that is cool, cool, uh, cool available cool. here. Um, oh, a nice, big, two-page spread of the Necropolis. And it looks insidious. It really does. It also looks like it probably floated at one time. Because it's perfectly circular, and it looks like it... Like, it's crashed, and it's not... The ground isn't, like, flat. It's not level. Yeah. So, um, just moving through. Chain Lightning Stadium is a section. Spire Entrance. Tower of Conjuration. It looks like they might have a tower. Yeah, Tower of Divination. One for each one of the spell schools, which are the eight main spell schools. There's a new kind of beast called a King Sport. It's a penguin. It's a penguin. And it is a CR nothing. And there's, like, there's nothing to it. I love it. But there, it's just weird. It looks like a blind penguin. Yeah, it's blind sight. It can't see beyond 30 feet. Blind penguins. I love it. What do they come up with next? Ooh, we get some slotty, which is fun. That one's got a telescope for some reason. Um, it's not going to be seen very much inside of the, you know, ice ice glacier. Well, unless there's, you know, a pink slot changing over there. Uh, a living blade of disaster is a powerful annihilating spell given a will of its... What is this? It is a magical sword made of pure void energy that goes through and attacks living things on the necropolis willy-nilly. That's crazy. I love it. And it's a spell. You can't, like, do damage to it. Can you dispel it? Yes. Okay. <laughs> but but like, they're going to try to fight it first. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. Um, everything from wizard's chairs to flesh golems. There's a lot of crazy shit going on here. We end up in a real... There's a big plot point around Slotty here that they're, I, they're I appreciate. They're yeah. underutilized. I still would say they're underutilized in this campaign as well. They are utilized, but not enough. Sure. Um, but it's a good introduction wanna, to them. Like, you want to talk about what to do for the next campaign arc? Give me a Slotty campaign arc. I'm sorry. They're, these pillars are four spitting mimics. What is a spitting mimic? It's I'm a sure new we'll type of mimic. I'm, I'm stoked to find out what I've been deliberately is. not telling you about the new mimic in this book. All right. Hold on. Uh, dealing with the Arcane Brotherhood is a part of this chapter. Uh, the Frost Maiden's Forces. Final Showdown. Summoning the Tarask. Good God. This is phenomenal. Yeah. So, so let's... I'm not going to give any more spoilers. This chapter has shit. And let's move on to the epilogue, Dan. About where do we go after this? Just... Just briefly, once once the crisis has passed. So, uh, once the crisis has passed, you deal with uh, whatever secrets might remain from the Necropolis or your personal secrets that you gave out at the beginning of the campaign. We mentioned those. 
We mentioned what the realm is going to look like once the sun starts to rise again. Right. And that's kind of the whole arc. The great thaw. Yeah. The great thaw. There is uh, some things that end up happening here that you need to read as a DM before you run the campaign. Okay. Read uh, as a DM, read the epilogue, then read everything else. And it'll help. That is so that you can understand how to build your foreshadowing and shit so that you know what's important when you get to the epilogue portion of it. Yes, exactly. There are some major players here and it's two pages. So do just do the work, read those and understand it. And then at the end of that, we get to the appendixes. Appendices. Appendices. So appendix A, Icewind Dale trinkets. Not magic items. They're just stuff. A dark blue scarf that gets lighter in shade the higher the altitude. Oh, so they're, they look like they're mundane magic. An owl figurine carved. No, just from whalebone. Wow. Some of this is, yeah, a figurine of polar bear made of ice that never melts. That, like, this stuff is cool. I like it. It's a D100 table. There seems to be, at a quick glance, like 28 items on this list. And that's it. It's a one pager. It is a one-pager. Next on uh, Appendix B are the character secrets you could give your uh, players. Depending on the kind of game you want to run, you could give them one or uh, three. And anywhere in between there. uh, So two? You could give them one, two, or three of these secrets, (laughs) depending on the type of game you want to run. Um, Some of these are mean, nothing, little farts in the wind. That's good. Some of them just need to be that. And Adam? Yeah. It is here we see the name. One of these secrets is you're a Dritzt fan. Yeah, I mean, okay, we have not seen Dritzt up until this point, so sure. Okay. Also, the fact that he's a celebrity, like you're in-world a yeah. Dritzt fan, that, that's, that tracks for me, right? In the very beginning of this book, it does say it's been several hundred years since the events of the Crystal Shard books. So, um, so he's passed. Into he is. Legend. He is more the in a, a character of legend more than a active force. However, he is still alive, and they acknowledge the fact that he's still alive. Okay. Okay. But yeah, some of them are mean nothing. Other of them are you are the heir to the queen of this realm, and technically this is your land. Huh. Right. It covers the gamut. Now, it also gives you a lot of opportunity and freedom as a DM to put in your own secrets here to give to your uh, party members. I don't know, man. I really like these things. Some of them come with mechanical boons. Some of them don't. So um, depending on your party, hand them out. And this is going to be some of the stuff you you deal with at the end of the campaign if you don't deal with it sooner. All right. That sounds good. Ooh, another big two-page spread. Another that is just a two-page spread. Beautiful piece of art. It is a picture of what looks like a dune crawler from Star Wars, just covered in ice. So it's a fortress. It looks like a big fortress, yeah. And then that brings us to creatures. I'm going to go through this really quick because I don't want to dig into... This is not a monster episode of the podcast. But we get uh, two new aberrations. They are both gnomes. And they both... There's a ceramorph and the squidling. These are gnome mind flayers. Yep. Um, We get a bunch of new beasts, which I went through earlier. Constructs, which looks like they... uh, There's a lot of constructs, including some living spells. Living Bigby's Hand, uh, Living Blade of Disaster living demiplane we have a snow golem a duragar hammerer so i guess these are like like i said constructs the shardland dragon uh, elementals are two of Oriel's forms 
Mm-hmm. She is a pure elemental, which is fun. And something called a Twinga. Uh, Twingas came up in uh, Tomb of Annihilation as well. Oh, yeah? They are a pixie-like thing that are utterly helpful. And their whole thing is they want to help the people who are lost in the wilderness survive. and, and Well, it's them. good to have them for this then. They are also incredibly conniving and tricksy. And they, they might mess with your party a little bit as well. But they, they err on the side of helpful. There's also one new fiend, a Tartalan Berserker. A um, couple of giants. Uh, we've got Ice Troll and then Verbeeg Longstrider and Verbeeg Marauder. I'm assuming Verbeeg is a kind of like Frost Giant tribe. Uh, Verbeegs are, they are kind of like half giants. Okay. But uh, they're they're large-sized humanoids. They're giants, but they are, they're, they're that half step above Furbolg, a little bit below Hill Giant. Right. right, they're they're that other evolution. They're stuff. they're on the ordning, but they're going to be way at the bottom. Yeah, they're like the things that made Goliaths. Okay, we've got a couple of named humanoids, and and then some stuff like uh, Goliath Werebear, a Frost Druid, a Dorgar Mindmaster, an Icewind Kobold. They these all get unique stat blocks, monstrosities, or real as a monstrosity. Uh, this is going to be important for your druids to, mm-hmm. to kind of know that shit, um, and your rangers as well. A Spitting Mimic, a Yeti Tyke. Is that a baby Yeti? It's a baby Yeti. That is amazing. And then Undead, no Vampire, Cobalt Zombie, Cobalt Vampire Spawn, a Frost Giant Skeleton, and a Brain in a Jar. Yes, we finally get stat blocks for Brains in a Jar. And I, I, I mean, we passed over the whole Null Vampire. Inside the Caves of Hunger, they're named for a very specific reason. Yep. Null Vampires. Um, Yenogu plays a role in this campaign arc. That's cool. Again, underutilized for my for my tastes. Yeah. Um, we've got a few named NPCs that are big, including ooh, one of them dies and gets a ghost stat block. And it looks like kobolds are warm-blooded. Otherwise, how would they be living up here without clothes like they are in the artwork? Um, well, look in the artwork. They are uh, wearing clothes and are... Not these guys. ...standing on oh. each other's shoulders. Uh, in that one, but some of them are bare-chested walking around. I would say that they're probably warm-blooded. Sure. Um, I mean, they're dragonkin. They've probably got that heat in there somewhere. Um, is the Frost Maiden, does she have a human face? Or is that is that owl bear with the horns a mask? Or is that her head? That is her preferred form. Okay. Like her actual preferred form while she walks around. Then she gets a giant form, yep. um, which is a gigantic elemental form. And then she's basically a gigantic floating gem. Cool. That's, that's the level of God crazy shit that yeah. I like. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Jar, I'm just going to flip through this really quick. The uh, Shardlin Berserker is a new kind of beast, I said. There's a madness to them. I am excited to figure out what that is. Ah, uh, Twingas. Oh, I see. They're those annoying little fuckers from Spirited Away. Yeah. Okay. I gotcha. This is just this is just more veggie pygmies. That's very much, yeah. Very yeah. much on the line of veggie pygmies. Okay. Um, Cold Light Walkers and Undead. That has got kind of like a furry hood with just light pouring out of the out of the front of it, which is neat. A Craig cat looks like some sort of very large white lynx that's going to blend in. We've got some Duragar stat blocks, including one named after Sunlight, which was, yep. uh, was a Sunlight? Uh, Sunblight. Sun that's right. Uh, the Frost Druid is cool. Frost Giant Skeleton is cool. Null Vampire. That's some fun art. Uh, Null Vampire has an extensive stat block. Well, it does, but because it gets the best of both worlds on this. It is a CR8, though, so it's, it's limited, in it, but still cool. It is one of the most powerful things in this book. I would say that these guys being surrounded by Witherlings, too, would be a lot of fun for a homebrew campaign. Yep. Some Goliath stuff. Wait a minute. Wait a freaking minute. Goliath's players. 
Yep, so they have player character stats for Goliaths in here. So it's a reprint of that. It's a reprint. Good. Yeah, it's not it's not really an update. It's a reprint. Yep, um, Werebear, which is good. I don't know why they keep giving us like Knucklehead Trout. Knucklehead Trout. Um, the main reason why Knucklehead Trout are a thing here is they are the like main source of food. It's just weird that they get a stat block. You have to fish them. There are several quests involving them, so that's why they get a stat block. Okay. And for those of uh, for those of you who are fans of the books, Knucklehead Trouts are important as well. So okay, um, they're one of those things that they're like. I guess we have to put in a stat block here. The Cobalt Zombie and the Cobalt Vampire Spawn art is really cool. I like that. Living spells are always, always fun. All right, so Majin. Majin are magical, human-like beings created by a wizard spell. Uh, see the Create Majin spell in Appendix D, or by other arcane methods. Although Majins look like humanoids with green skin, they are constructs. When one is wounded, its blood is seen to have the color and consistency of mercury. They exist purely through magical means. When one is killed, its body disappears in a burst of harmless fire and a cloud of smoke that quickly dissipates. They're magical servants, I, it, it says. We get a Demos one, a Galvin one, and a Hypnos one, and I don't know what that means. Demos is going to be your fighter type. Your armors, yeah. The the Galvin ones can fly, and they store static electricity. And the Hypnos are telepathic, and they get psychic nonsense. Yeah. These freaking gnome, uh, the gnome mind flayers, and the gnome squidling. These are the most disgusting, cute things that I've ever seen. Indeed, and I would yeah. like to have one as a pet. Yes. Um, I like the fact that the gnome uh, Ceramorph has a laser pistol. In his hand. In yeah. his hand in the art. And then... And, it, and, and a stat for. Like and you, a stat for you if, they, if he shoots you with a laser pistol. That's and, fucking stupid. I love it. Yeah. I love it. I just I just want to see, you know, my character play this campaign, get the laser pistol, go down to like, I don't know, fucking Chult or something. Go get sucked into Barovia and like walk up to Strahd and be like, pew pew. Yeah. <laughs> like Um Oh, you're trying to set a tone. One second, I'm a fire in my laser. Like it, it yeah. Um the spitting mimic here is a CR5, and it's got an expanded stat block, which is fun. Looks like a lot of the regular stuff, but just a little beefier. Um, plus it can spit acid. Okay, we've got a bunch of different nomads. We, we it covers the uh, nomadic tribes of the north. Um, the snow golem looks like um, you know the rock biter from uh, Neverending Story. Yep. If it needed some time at the gym, and yep. it was medium size, and its head was a penis with a mouth. Yes, that's that's what that looks like. Um, also, don't judge what I think a penis looks like. Snowy owl bear. The Tomb Tapper. Look at that thing. Look the, at the size specifically. This is a huge construct. The picture here makes it look like just a, a medium undead creature with or a, an aberration, maybe. or an aberration. This thing is huge. This thing is like twenty-five feet tall. Twenty-five to or uh, no, fifteen to twenty-one feet. Yeah. They uh, what is it? Wrought from the fusion of magic and elemental earth. Each of these sexless. Hairless Warriors stands 15 to 21 feet tall and possesses a lust for magic and inherited memory composed of recollections from the souls sacrificed in their creation and an insane hatred for non-human spellcasting creatures. Wow. These things carry a big... These these are your pyramid heads. Yep. That's so badass. And then Walruses, the Yeti, the Yeti Tyke. That is fucking adorable. That is adorable. This I, this is something. It is a small monstrosity. I'm going to give this as a pet to a party, because it's chaotic evil 
and it will be hilarious. This looks like a gremlin. Yep. But a cute furry gremlin. That will grow to be huge. Yeah. A huge problem. So uh, that takes us to Appendix D. Which is going to be our magic. And uh, we start off with some magic items like the Abracadabras. Ouch. Ouch. Which is a... Fuck, that hurts my brain. <laughs> Which is a ornate gem-studded wooden chest. It uh, is a chest that contains 20 charges, and you close the chest, say what you want, open the chest, it's inside the chest. Oh, that's cool. Yep. Now, the there is some limitations on what you could do here, and the chest regenerates charges at dawn like charges do. Uh, there's a cauldron of plenty, which is basically a uh, cauldron you bring around that generates food three times a day. I'm going to hand this out right before they go through this crazy wilderness thing if I've got new players. Yeah, for sure. The the hags mentioned before will have something like this sure, yeah. available to them. Um, there's a hook of Fisher's Delight, which is a one of four different types of a fishing hook that generates a certain effect. Do you have to be a special kind of uh, hooker to use this one, though? Uh, no, you could be any type of hooker you want it to be. Okay. Yeah. As long as you've mastered baiting. Yeah. What? What? Next is the Lantern of Tracking. Um, it is a lantern that burns on six hours for one point uh, one pint of oil. And basically what it does is um, you determine a creature type and it helps you find it. Leads you to it. Oh, cool. All yeah. right. Um, there's the Professor Orb. I don't know what he's the professor of. Um, my guess, round things. Um, he... Professes things? It professes the truth? I don't know what is that it does. What this is? No. Um, so the Professor Orb is a smooth five pound sphere of smoky gray quartz about the size of grapefruit. Oh, it's like your head. Rude. Um, the orb is sentient and has the personality uh, of a scholar. It's not like your head. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> the orb speaks and reads and understands four languages, can see and hear normally up to a range of 60 feet, and, unlike most sentient items, has no goals. So he's a professor. Uh, and he cannot initiate conflict. Um, the or They then have a breakdown of the professor currently in the example orb from this campaign and what he uh, knows and uh, what you could ask him for in terms of information, what his areas of expertise are. Cool. So it's an information orb. Cool. Yep. There's a Psi crystal. Psi PSI. PSI, which uh, requires attunement. How um, much crystal is there per square inch? We're getting to the end of the episode, ladies and gentlemen, so I'm just trolling Dan. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, it gives a range of telepathy based off of your character's intelligence score. The higher intelligence, the greater the light's intensity, and the greater the range of the telepathy. Cool. So it generates light and gives telepathy out to a range. Telepathy? Telepathy, yes. Fuck. And that's all it does, basically. It gives you a, If you have a 16 or higher int, it gives you telepathy out to 120 feet, plus shines a bright light in a 15-foot radius and dim light for another 15 feet. Uh, there's the Scroll of Tarrasque Summoning. All right, just move right along. There's this. No one wants to hear about that. Okay, we won't talk about the scroll of trash summoning. The scroll of the comet. Okay. You summon a comet. I'm, I'm just going to read this. By using an action to read the scroll, you cause a comet to fall from the sky and crash to the ground at a point you could see up to a mile away from you. I'm, you are danger close with this thing. Um, you must be outdoors when using the scroll. No fucking duh. Um, the comet creates a 50 foot deep, 500 foot radius crater on impact. Any creature in that radius must make a deck save or suffer 30 D10 force damage or half as much on a successful one. Yikes. Yeah. Um, all structures in the crater are destroyed, as are all non-magical objects that aren't being worn or held. 
Again, that pisses me off. It does. If you're holding your magical sword, it doesn't get... Yeah, fuck it. All right, continue. There's a thermal cube. It's a hot hot square. Sure. Um, there's a Yithrin Myathalar. Myth- Mythalar. Oh, and Dan's had a stroke. Yeah. Uh, Ithrin Mythalar. Sure. It is an enormous crystal ball that lets cities float. We're going to move on. Oh, so that's that, that necropolis did fly. Oh, 100%. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I was just taking a guess based on the fact that it looked like it had crashed it, it, by, it, based on the art. Um, the Ithrin Mythalar is, spoilers, key to the campaign. Um, then there are two books that you could get as well. There's the Codicil of, the, of White, which is a book that was ba- it's basically the holy book of Uriel. And it details the things you need to turn off this curse that is going on. Sure, okay. Then there's the Incantations of, and I'm sorry, Irio Larthus. All right, hand it over. Nope. Um, <laughs> it is a spell book that contains several levels of spells in it up to level ninth. And is probably where you're going to find the spell Blade of Disaster, which is a ninth level spell, by the way. Cool. Yeah. And then there are three wizard spells. Sure. What you got? We got the Blade of Disaster, which I just mentioned, which is a ninth level conjuration spell that cast time is a bonus action. Yikes. All right. What else you got? You got the Create Magen spell. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which will generate those creatures. It is a seventh level transmutation and holy shit, the component costs. What is it? A vial of quicksilver worth 500 gold, a life-sized human doll, both of which the spell consumes, and an intricate crystal rod worth at least 1,500 gold that is not consumed. Um, And then there's a first-level evocation spell that is a cold spell. Thank you. The D&D does not have I'm pissed off. There's only one. Wizards, this is the snow book. Make more snow spells. What is it called? Um, it is called Frost Fingers, <laughs> also known as My Wife's Hands at Night. I'm not even um, touching it. I'm not even touching it. Um, not even going. Freezing cold blasts from your fingertips. It's a burning hands, just cold. Cool. It does 2d8 damage on a constitution save, by the way, so fuck you, rogues. Yeah, no. Uh, well, fuck you, rogues, just in general. Right? Yeah, yeah, fuck you, rogues. Uh, Appendix E, Rhyme of the Frostman. Should I read this out, Dan? It's only like... Six. Uh, and then we have an afterword. And then we have an afterword uh, written by Chris Perkins himself. The opening sentence is, isolation is a big theme of this adventure. Well, hey, welcome to COVID. He picked a good year to release this. Yeah, yeah. And on that page, there is also the arts for a living demiplane that glides across the wall. And it just looks like a scared adventure looking down a hallway. So, oh, the wall's all starry. That's what it is. Ah. So, uh, it's it's a trap level thing. So uh, It's a living spell. Yeah. Um, and then finally attached at the end of the book is the maps and everything, which is going to give you the maps for uh, 10 towns as well as the general map for Icewind Dale is the big pullout map. Um, I do have one small complaint, but I guess it makes a little bit of sense. There's not a lot going on this thing. Well, I mean, it is a big, empty... I mean, I'm just looking at it for the first time right now. It's a big, empty area that... I wish that they would have names on the rivers. I wish that they would have names on some of the, the mountains. Like, they got the glacier. But what is this What is this? Oh, they do have space? They do have names on some of the rivers. Yeah, but not all of them. Like, I just... This is good. I would like a little bit more detail. But at some point, at some point a- you're just going to get it too full of nonsense yeah and, and this is like we said isolation is the key to the, to this campaign 
you don't want too much going on here, right? The towns themselves are each uh, intricately detailed. I really like the town art, but it's just zoomed in. But it, it's very. this whole thing seems almost black and white. There are colors on it, the blues and greens and stuff, but they're very muted. Yeah. That's really the feel of this whole campaign is that it's muted. So, Dan, what's our overall impression of this? How do we feel about it? Uh, do we want to roll for it? Yeah. I got an 11. I got a 5. You go first. I love it. Um, I am super impressed by the fact that it is mostly a large portion of this is pure adventure. There's not a lot of fluff thrown in. There's not a lot of filler. It's just it's just adventure, man. And, and they've really made it uh, easily adaptable to any campaign world. The fact that a lot of it feels modular, that you could... You could take any part of this and drop it in your own campaign by just covering the... By reskinning it. Yeah, change a couple names and and uh, history details and you're good. But I could take that Durgar Fortress and I could I could put it in the Underdark and it doesn't have to be snow-based, right? No. Like, you could take, you could take uh, the Netherese city and just make it an abandoned ancient te- uh, city under a glacier. There are a couple missteps. Um, my, my feeling, the biggest one is the lack of additional cold spells, which is severely under supported in D and D it's like they got through fire. They got through thunder and lightning and then went, I guess a couple cold one here, Kona cold. You guys are good. No, nah, man, give me more. I can't just be a cold wizard slinging chromatic orb. There's gotta be something else. So that that's, and that's my complaint. Otherwise I love it. Okay, honestly, I like this book. It's 320 pages, so it's nice and long. There's a lot of shit that's going into it. Ultimately, I would say my my favorite thing about this book is exactly how modular it is. There's a lot of DM inspiration stuff in here. And the fact that you can drop those beginning quests, I can take those out and put them all in the same town Mm -hmm. in my own homebrew campaign and just have them as plot hooks out of a single tavern. Yep. Right. I really, really like the things that it offers, especially in the early levels of the book. The later levels of the book where it starts to become more streamlined, where you get into the, the Netherese city, the necropolis, or you fight the, the Frost Maiden herself, all that kind of shit. It's good. It's good adventure path. It's my kind of adventure path. I'm not a mad mage kind of guy. No. I'm not a, a... I haven't really been inspired by the last few adventure modules that have come out. I prefer the stuff that's more modular, like the Tales of Yanni Portal and Ghost of Saltmarsh. I like the stuff that's a bit more freeform, like uh, Curse of Strahd yeah. and Tomb of Annihilation. The latest stuff has been kind of railroady, like next step, here you go. But I'm hoping that we're getting a constant trend here because Eberron was just jam-packed full of shit. Every page had multiple ideas and pieces of info and great inspirations. Just littered through every paragraph of that book. Theros is not as dense and neither is Ravnica, but both of them are still full of inspiration ideas that you can drop into your own campaigns because they're campaign setting by the Broad Strokes books. I was amazed to see that level of detail in a campaign book. Yes. Right? I, like, this this one is, is meant for you to play. It's an adventure module. I was expecting this for a setting. Not, not for a module. And I really freaking like that. This does more for me... For Icewind Dale than Baldur's Gate did for Baldur's Gate. Yes. Then Waterdeep Mad Mage did for Waterdeep. It was all about un- Undermountain, right? Yeah. So I'm a big fucking fan of this. The fact that it gets old school weird with some of the sci-fi nonsense at the end 
feels a, like a lot of fun. I'm a big fan of the thing. I'm a big fan of At the Mountains of Madness. Yeah. Right. So there's a lot of good shit here. My favorite part of the latest Godzilla movie was when they're in Antarctica and it's just like snow and ice blowing up all over the place. That's really fucking cool, and I get that feel from this. I like the scope quite a bit. Mm-hmm. The bestiary, the items, the spells really feel like they got 80% of the way there. Okay. I wanted more than just trinkets. Like, it's good that we got some 28 new trinkets, but that's it, right? I just want a little bit more. We got some magic items, sure, but all of that stuff really did feel like... We got like 12. Yeah. Well, we always get like 12, right? But it it did just feel like, hey, here's this thing that we mentioned earlier in the book. And so you need the, the info when your players pick it up. It didn't feel like, here's new items for your players. Yeah. Right? So that has left me feeling a little cold. Pardon the pun. But um, I wanted, I really like what they're doing with the monsters. It's made me thirsty for more. I want to see Kuatoa vampires. Right. I want to see the zombie and I know that there's a vampire um, template that you can use in the monster manual, but I like this better. What they've done with the gnolls and the kobolds and stuff. So I don't know. I want I want more of that. Their unique original monsters are always my favorite part of these books. Yep. Those are super flavorful and I love those. There just wasn't enough for me. But it's not a Volos, it's not a Mordenkainen's, it, that, that's not what this is. So, And I understand that, that's just what I'm looking for. This is a DM's book for players, if, if I want to put it that way, right? Like, th- yeah. there's, this is purely adventure, uh, for the most part, and I, I view books like Volos, a, a DM's book for DMs. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like, it, it's, the, here's, your, here's your monsters, go forth. We have said that this feels like this is the second or the first of uh, two parts. So I'm incredibly curious if that's going to expand out from there. I don't think but. it is. I like. I hope it isn't because I I like the solo adventures and the fact that we end with the Necropolis and all this crazy stuff. Like, where do you go from here into the outer realms? Dive like- deeper into the Netheries and and their full effect. We skimmed over quite a lot. I, I know I mentioned the obelisks and said that they get addressed in yep. the in the city, and then we didn't mention it again. There's some well, we don't want to get spoilers. It, from there the is some fifth edition overarching plot level stuff that happens in this book that they need to expand on with other editions this, or uh, other adventures. This I don't even need them to expand on it. You know what I want from them? The Sword Coast Adventures Guide sucked a nut. It is the worst book that they have released. It's also the first one they released. No, it isn't. It was like the fourth. Well, other than the core three. Right. But the, uh, but the core three were way better than the Sword Coast Adventures guy. I know it was early in the career. They didn't really have a grasp what fifth edition was yet. They assumed that we would remember a lot of stuff from previous editions, but that's not the case because fifth edition blew up. Yep. Right. It's the biggest edition so far. So I need them to do a Sword Coast Adventures guide too. And it needs to include Baldur's Gate, Waterdeep, Icewind Dale. It needs to include this level of lore, but we need history. Netheries, we need to see what's going on with the... When we dig a little bit deeper into exactly how this world works. What is this additional lore? I would be perfectly happy with a single 300-page Forgotten Realms book. The way that Eberron and Ravnica and Theros have gotten their attention. Exactly. So, Dan, uh, let's just stay in the same order. What's your what's your final ranking for this book? How would you rank this, if, assuming it gets a letter grade? A minus. A minus for you? There, there's a couple missteps, but they're not significant. I don't even, I, think I I don't even feel like they're that they're missteps. They're just glaring omissions. Yes. Right? What we were hoping for wasn't wasn't here. 
Uh, this is going to sit as a B plus for me. I'm kind of in the same realm. I'm less thrilled with it just because as a DM, there's a lot of stuff for me to grab out of it. If I was a new DM, this is way more useful for me. Yeah. Um, but because I'm not, this is not one of the things I'm going to run to first. Um, but it's probably going to come before Prince of the Apocalypse and and uh, Storm King's Thunder and Horde of the Dragon Queen. If you don't own those ones, eh, get this first. Yeah. But if you don't have Tomb of Annihilation, Curse of Strahd, Out of the Abyss, grab those first. Those are the big ones. This sits middle of the pack for mm-hmm. me, um, which is to say that it is good. It is just slightly above average good. So I'm happy with it. it this is going to be the thing that is forgotten in 2020. This is about to be overshadowed. By what they're going to do next. And that is Tasha's Tasha's culture. Tasha's culture of everything. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's just how it is. However, I also think that it's going to make um, Dragon Heist uh, obsolete. Like, this is going to overshadow that. Well, it's like how Tomb of Annihilation made Princes of the Apocalypse obsolete. Yeah. And But that doesn't always happen, right? Because we're still talking about Curse of Strahd, right? There are some real winners, which in my opinion is the A-plus book so far, right? Yeah. It sits at the pinnacle. This is almost as good, super flavorful. Um, and I really like the themes, but I wanted more tools. Yeah, and Curse of Strahd really, really reinforces the overbearing control Strahd has over his region. And Uriel has that here, but she's not as like, there's no chance that she's randomly going to pop up and attack you, right? Like, it, it's it's not the same level of a She technically place. exists on the realm, she, so... She is an exploration threat, whereas Strahd is more of a role-playing threat. Yeah. And right? I, interesting. I'm glad... Whereas Acerarak is a combat threat. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so, it's interesting that they do that. It's neat. There's so very little about... This is another misnamed adventure. Out of the Abyss is about the Underdark. Dragon Heist is about gold. It's there's, it's not about a dragon, right? Like, well, the a gold piece is called a dragon. Yes, I but. know, but if you don't know what it is when you pick it up, it's oh, yeah. not. You the, go buy it expecting dragons, and you're just gonna get a bank heist. Yeah, yeah. honestly, Tomb of Annihilation should have been called Rumble in the Jungle because you spend freaking ninety percent of that adventure wandering through the jungle before even getting to the tomb, right? Storm King's Thunder doesn't even make sense, right? I I know why it's named that, but it should have been something about the ordining. Right, because that's the whole plot line. So again, the fact that the Frost Maiden is gone two thirds of the way through this yeah. adventure feels strange. Right, so not bad. I just I wish that they would give us more straightforward names. Yeah, fair enough. So uh, that'll be it for this episode on Icewind Dale: Rhyme of the Frost Maiden. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as dozens of other podcast apps. You can also find us at itsamimic.com or email us at info at itsamimic.com. Thanks for listening to the It's a Mimic podcast and make sure to check us out for other first impressions after every major official release from Wizards of the Coast. Uh, Appendix E, Rhyme of the Frostman. Should I read this out, Dan? It's only like six. Uh, uh, Spoiler warning. Yes. Spoiler warning. We bow to she who wears the crown. Let the world shiver with dread. Clad in winter's whitest gown, her snow enshrouds the dead. Her fury sheds but frozen tears as gray clouds issue forth. Her wind across the wasteland shears, bringing blizzards from the north. Ice-kissed flowers caught mid-bloom, beauty kept in all its grace. 
Summer's gone to its silent tomb, stilling in her cold embrace. All the world in winter's white, sheathed in sleet and ice, set upon never-ending night, she conjures paradise. Behold her everlasting rhyme, see how it covers all, weep not for those she traps in time behind her glacial wall. Sovereign of summer's lost, general of winter's war, long live the queen of cold and frost, may she reign forevermore. That is fun. <laughs>